you know that today's going to be a good day because I'm talking to your favorite podcast host, not only of this very show, but also fresh off the pilot episode of their epic Nicolas Cage podcast. Welcome to the birthday boy themselves, Caroline Deason. Hey, thank you, Dylan. That's so nice. And it's our podcast. It's our Nicolas Cage podcast. Yes, but it's weird if I'm introducing you and make it all about me. Yeah, but it's we have to we have to put the onus on both of us for this terrible idea. <laughs> That's it's a fair. wonderful idea. Terrible and beautiful, like the night. <laughs> like the man himself. That's right. So tell me, Caroline, is there anything interesting you've been watching on Netflix recently? So no, other than Drive Angry, which was our first movie for uh, our Nicolas Cage podcast, Rattling the Cage, which you should go and listen to right now if you haven't already. Go, do um, it, listen, subscribe. Yes. Pause pause us right now, go listen to that one, and then come back. Continue listening to this, just hours and hours on end of Dylan and Caroline. For some strange reason, the Dazed and Confused podcast is going to spoil Drive Angry. No, <laughs> not at all. Huh, there are kind of some... No, not really. Okay, anyway. Um... <laughs> But no, other than Drive Angry, I haven't been watching anything on Netflix. And uh, I haven't even watched the new season of Grace and Frankie yet, which is kind of... <gasps> a scandal. I know. I know. I really love Grace and Frankie. And the new season has been out for almost a month. Probably over a month now. Yeah. When you get time... It's unfortunate. When you get time to do it, just do be aware it's a bit of a slow start. Um, I mm. was a little... I was, I was sweating a little bit through those first few episodes, feeling like maybe they... Maybe Stella lost her groove. But Oh, uh, no. But okay. No, it was uh, yeah. It was it ended. It ra- right. The ship rates itself. Yes, or at okay, least it seems good. to. Good. So far, remains. My mom hasn't commented on it, which um makes me think that yeah, it's this similar that she also is having issues getting involved in, or getting into it because she usually never shuts up about Grace and Frankie. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean, if I'm being honest, I hate to say it, but it's pretty much when the Lisa Kudrow arc is over, that's when the show kind of gets back to itself. That's so sad because I was really looking forward to Lisa Kudrow being in it. Yeah, you'd think. <laughs> but uh oh. Yeah, you'll 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 understand what I mean when you get to it. Or maybe you'll okay. disagree. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and then I'll punch you. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Escalated. <laughs> well, Caroline, the movie that we're here to talk about today, I know it holds a very special place in your heart. It's from the year 1993 from director why do I keep struggling with that fucking word? From director <laughs> Rinch... God damn it. <laughs> From director Richard Linklater. We're going to be talking about Dazed and Confused. Dylan, did you yes? know a bit of Netflix trivia? If you had, you know, the Netflix um, trading cards. On the back of my trading card, it would say, Caroline's favorite movie is Dazed and Confused. <gasps> This, is, this is my all-time favorite movie. And I want to hear all about that, but I do have some business to take care of first. Okay. Uh, so let's look at how That's Netflix... That's gross, by the way. <laughs> some <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm not pooping. Like, it's... <laughs> well, I am, but I that's beside the I don't need your details. <laughs> let's take a look at how Netflix describes Dazed and Confused. Uh, the first description it offers is director richard linklater's coming-of-age comedy follows a group of teenagers stoners jocks and geeks on the last day of school in 1976 yes that's exactly what it is <laughs> <laughs> i i actually i'm not i it is funny but is it a comedy i don't know the genre genre definitions are 
kind of nebulous at this point, so uh, yeah. I'm not sure. Anyway, <laughs> keep going. And the alternate description is schools out for summer, but not until the upperclassmen humiliate the newbies. Peace, love, and hazing. Because <laughs> that's a thing I mean that, that people say. <laughs> that is one part of the movie, but it's not. I mean, I guess it's it's a lot of the movie. Yeah, it's a lot of the movie. That's fine. That's fine. It's a I'm, lot I'm fine with movie. both of these. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And the movie is described as both goofy and raunchy. What? Raunchy. Which, yeah, I didn't find it to be raunchy at all, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't get paid to write these. <laughs> I think like American Pie is raunchy or something, but this yeah. isn't raunchy. Yeah. No, it's not really. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it's written by somebody who's just like ultra conservative and they're like, <gasps> there's marijuana. It's raunchy. Or they literally didn't even watch it and they were just like, this kind of looks like American Pie set in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> that Mila Jovovich is up to no good. <laughs> well, that's true. And we don't always get this, but uh, Netflix offers up like a little piece of trivia about this movie as well. Sometimes. Oh, you does it little... say? Does it say this is Caroline's favorite movie? Oh my God! It does. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it says Quentin Tarantino listed this Richard Linklater cult classic as one of his top twenty favorite films of all time. <gasps> oh no! I have something in common <laughs> with Quentin Tarantino. No. No. Oh well. For more that's on that, <laughs> strange. <laughs> <laughs> i guess he has good taste but just hmm i don't know okay well, that's unfortunate so caroline the big question yes why did you want to talk about dazed and confused this is my all-time favorite movie since i was 16 and i watched this movie on march break because my best friend cash said you need to watch this movie and i was like nah, nah, nah. very resistant and I watched it on March break. And I think I probably watched it every day on March break after I watched it <laughs> the first time. And uh, how is, often? I was so excited that it that when you texted me to say it was on Netflix, I was so excited. Yes, I'm, I'm, this is my all-time favorite movie. So how often do you revisit it? That's a good question. For the rest of high school, I'm sure I watched it a couple times a year. Um, the last time I, I actually remember sitting down to watch it was on my birthday in first year of university when um, our university's movie theater played it they, on Fridays, they play Midnight Cult Classics. And uh, they happened to be playing Days and Confused on my birthday, which was just the best. And that's the, that's the last time that I actually like sit, remember sitting down and watching it. So that was ugh, like 12 years ago. <laughs> okay, so, so Ele- 11 were you years ago? revisiting it? I assume you I did. wasn't. You, I assume you did revisit it, that you're not just I did. off no, of I w- 12 years 11, ago's knowledge. 11 year old memory now uh, like to be completely fair I, I i find it very difficult to believe that i haven't watched it in a decade because i mean i i know it off by heart so that might be clouding my judgment a bit but no i did watch it earlier today and i was so excited the whole time i had a big smile on my face the whole time watching it just being like damn and the other cool thing is that i noticed things about it i've seen this movie 300 times and i noticed things about it this time that i didn't notice before but yeah no i i I wasn't nervous going in because the interesting thing about this movie to me is that there are definite parts to it that are part not and when I say parts I don't mean teleological sorry temporal parts I mean there are facets of this movie that are just bad. <laughs> there's bad acting, there's bad script parts uh overall I'd say that the directing is is great. I I appreciated it much more this time than I had in the past. But 
this is by no means a, a perfect movie, but with its flaws, it's perfect. And so I had no I had no qualms about going to revisit it, and I was delighted the whole time. So how did this movie end up as your favorite movie of all time? Like, what about it stuck with you? Because, I mean, most people have that movie, right? Like, that thing that you come back to, it's, like, part of your identity is the movie that you call your favorite movie. Like, how, you know, 95% of white guys will say during college that Fight Club is their favorite movie of all time. Like, Right. So what... For sure what is it about this movie because i mean like i wouldn't this is probably not the first movie that i would have picked if you had asked me what your favorite movie of all time was for sure nobody does no absolutely nobody thinks that this is they're all like really are you that into like hippies uh which is like not really even about but (laughs) um okay so the reason the reason that i was given this movie to watch when i was 16 was because i was it was grade 10 and I think everybody has this phase in high school where they only listen to classic rock. Pink Floyd was my obsession in grade 10. I had the same poster that Pickford has in the movie on my bedroom wall. And so my friend Cash was like, we, you know, you've seen Days and Confused, right? And I was like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's a, that's a song by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> because I know everything about classic rock because I'm <laughs> in grade 10. And that's my obsession. And he was flummoxed that I didn't know this movie. And so he got it for me on VHS or lent it to me on VHS. I can't remember. Uh, But it was definitely on VHS. And my dog ate part of the box, which I feel bad about still. (laughs) And yeah, and I I remember thinking, you know, going into it being like, I'm not going to like this movie. I don't, you know, it's a a 90s take on 70s stuff. So that's going to be really stupid. And I cannot, there's just something about this movie that is so infinitely rewatchable because it doesn't belabor its plot to a point that makes it, you know, to, you know, beginning, middle, end. There are so many wonderful different characters that are all doing their own independent thing, but then interweaving with each other that when you figure out the different social kind of cliques that are going on and you you kind of watch it from different perspectives to see how pink is the only person who can kind of move between all of these social circles that's something that was really appealing to me as a high schooler for sure and the soundtrack is fantastic i was reading today i read a a bit of trivia that a huge portion of the budget of the movie just went to paying for the rights for the soundtrack and it was such a good investment because if the soundtrack wasn't there I'm not entirely sure if the movie would have sold sold me on the on the kind of, you know, 70s vibe as much as it did. I don't know anybody. My dad was 26 when this movie takes place in 1976, so he was much older, well, almost 10 years older than the people in the movie. And I don't actually know anybody who was around, you know, 17, 18. So I don't I can't speak to the veracity of the portrayal of the 70s. But to me, this is 1976. This is, like, everything about this, they nailed. I was so happy with how, in my mind at the time, that they really were respectful to the music, which was what I was obsessed with. But then all of these characters are just so likable. Even the ones that aren't likable are so likable. And this is the first movie that Matthew McConaughey made. I'm a huge Matthew McConaughey fan. And... 
a lot of the rules that he has now, you can see Wooderson in, <laughs> which is just delightful. It's delightful. The whole movie is just delightful. There's nothing, you don't go into it, there's no bad vibes, there's no bummers. Royal Tenenbaums is another one of my favorite movies, but you have to be in a certain mood to watch Royal Tenenbaums because it's heavy. There are things, right. you know, this is a this is an intense story. Dazed and Confused is something you can put on in the background and just kind of, you know, revisit whenever it's your favorite parts. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like the ultimate desert island movie, the ultimate, you know, favorite movie of all time. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before, because I know that we've mentioned Dazed and Confused before, but this was actually my first time watching it. And at first I was having this this feeling that I know that I've expressed before watching kind of like these cliques in high school and how it seemed like it was doing that movie thing where it seemed like there are types of people who who exist only in movies that there's like very clearly like these are the burnouts and these are the jocks and these are the nerds and uh i remember talking about that one in our mean girls episode and uh (laughs) having somebody point out that i probably had an atypical school experience yeah i was just about to say like well how what do you that is what happens (laughs) (laughs) i don't know because i was i was pink though like i was the one who could go between all of these groups which is why how this was so um this affected me so much yeah i think that in my head i was pink even if i wasn't (laughs) like that's why i wasn't aware of it because i just saw like people who could tolerate me rather than (laughs) like (laughs) groups that i belonged to or didn't belong to okay just taking whoever would have me in a given moment (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so like at first i was like oh like we're doing this whole thing again um and then i was surprised by how relatable so many different characters were and how much of myself i saw on the screen yeah and it's stuck with me more than most movies normally do because like i'm i don't watch movies all the time But most of the time it's okay, you know, I sit, I watch it, I think about it a bit, I record a podcast about it, and then it's not coming up again. But in the last in the last few days, it's already become like a a point of reference for conversations. Like Yeah. Where when I when I'm talking to people, I'm like, you know, it's like the it's like that part of Dazed and Confused where blah 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 happens. Hell yeah. So I feel like it's definitely got its hooks in. And I don't know if that came from, you know, feeling feeling like it really tapped into something that was familiar to me even if you know the the time and the you know like the visual signifiers and stuff even if you know those aren't in any way related to me like I was Mm -hmm. entering prepubescence when this movie came out not even like I was six when this movie came out right like it's yeah exactly it's an early 90s movie about the late 70s like neither of those things has anything to do with me but still it 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 seemed to capture something real and so I, I really dug it for that reason. It is a very human movie. And that's why all the flaws I am happy to talk about. All of the bad acting I'm happy to talk about. And especially this time around when I was watching it, I was thinking Linklater had control over this and he did not get them to stop being so terrible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like like there's a there the guy who plays Mitch touches his nose 47 times or something in the movie. Oh my and, god! Um, yeah, I yeah, saw it's, that it's, and I hated it so much. It, it's very annoying. And at some point, I'm sure Linklater noticed that, but instead of intervening, he was just like, "This is this is our character. This is Mitch. This is what he would do because he's just that insecure, right? And doesn't know what the hell's going on." 
And so these little kind of imperfections that I, I really appreciated this time around as being intentional, that in the past I kind of just probably chalked up to it being what is almost like a, a B movie in an A movie shell, kind of they didn't actually care about things like the actors or anything like that. Like I I was uh, tickled when you texted me saying, Ben Affleck is in this? I was like, oh yeah, I guess that is weird that Ben Affleck is in it. But yeah, of course he is. And to me, O'Bannon is Ben Affleck. <laughs> like they're the same person in my, in my mind. So whenever I see Ben Affleck in something else, I'm like, damn O'Bannon. <laughs> that jerk. Yeah, I really, uh, I mean, for the most part, the things that you're describing as flaws, I mean, the nose thing was too much. Like, that was just too much. It's really bad. Yeah. Um, but for the most, for most of the time, when something could be read as bad acting, I just read that as, okay, maybe this take feels a little rough. But I mean, like, when are you not more rough than when you're a teenager and you're, like, trying to navigate things? For sure. Like when like that, like, like, even even with the nose thing, like you could mm-hmm. you could definitely say that that's Mitch trying to present to the world that he's you know done with this or that he's just like being tested and pushed too far and like trying to show off to this girl. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. That's exactly what I mean. I'm I'm I am convinced this time around that Linklater made a conscious decision not to interrupt that because he wanted it to to be part of Mitch's character and not. Not that it's going to be something that people tease the actor for for the rest of his life, which actually does happen. I, I read like an interview with him or something and um, people come up to him on the street and ask him to touch his nose. Oh, no. Be- <laughs> yeah, beca- because of because of how notoriously often he does it right. uh, in this movie. But I mean, like, you know, the, all the all the young kids, Carl, that other kid, they the way that they deliver their lines is very belabored at times. And I appreciate that now on a scale that I didn't appreciate it back then where, like I said, I I probably just chalked it up to it being, you know, kind of a, a rough around the edges movie generally, right. which I still think it is. And I think that that's a huge part of its charm. It's mm. not overproduced. And even there are, there are things I noticed this time around. There are shots that I noticed this time around that by the standards of, you know, movie making, I guess you could say are overproduced. Just like close-ups on people's fingers when they're rolling joints. And my favorite thing ever, which I've noticed before, I'm sure, but I laughed out loud this time, was when everyone is trying to, like the crowd of people, there are people holding back people while they're watching the fight happen at the the big party. And there's a a very quick shot of a guy trying to light his cigarette while he's being pushed around. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's got the flame and he's got the cigarette and he's concentrating on it and his, his, he's being all jostled around and everything. And there are these tiny little bits of real humanness, real faults, real problems that that have been set up so perfectly that you don't even really realize they're set up. I do give Linklater all the credit that he did all of this on purpose, but it took me a long time to realize that like, oh shit, like this isn't by mistake. And part of the reason that I know that now, I haven't seen anything else by Linklater. And when I was in high school, I could not have cared less about who the director was for this movie or any movie, really. But I do know that now he is famous for, you know, like Boyhood that was 13 years or whatever to to make. And movies like, you know, Before Sunrise and that trilogy where everything is meticulously planned out years in advance. 
and knowing that and watching Disney Confused again today was really cool because there are things that I did not appreciate in the past that I, I really got to appreciate today. Did you think it was funny? Sometimes I felt like it was funny. Other times I felt like it was like a, a youthful kind of exhilarating more like I was I was into it and I was cheering for it but I wasn't like laugh out loud busting a gut about it yeah I I could notice that today a lot of the laughter that I had was out of my just love for these characters and love for the the movie so just you know certain things that Slater says that are funny but I was just busting a gut at because I remember them and I remember quoting them I remember you know like I I've been to parties like the, the moon tower party and i've i've at the moon tower party of of my high school group quoted this movie it's so ingrained in my friend group and it's so ingrained in my my adolescence and my early adulthood chicky later chicky later <laughs> it's such a, it's yeah there's just so many wonderful wonderful little one-liners that the actors deliver with no self-consciousness sometimes you watch a movie and you can tell that certain things have been written being like this will be the standout quote yeah that everyone will quote from this movie and there aren't any movies or there aren't any quotes like this in this movie and all right all right all right is one of the most famous movie quotes of the 90s slash of matthew mcconaughey's entire career when he won the oscar that's how he opened up his speech and that was the first thing that he ever said on camera i read today which yeah. is great <laughs> It did make me wonder because, like, I I'd, I'd never seen this before, and I heard him drive up and all right, all right, all right, and I was like, yeah. and I was trying to remember, does he say that in any other movie, or has this just like dogged him his entire life that that's, like, that's that's his meme, right? Like, that's yeah. his, you know, uh, all right, all right, all right is to Matthew McConaughey as wow is to Owen Wilson, right? <laughs> yeah, but okay, I think when people say do the the Owen Wilson wow they're making fun of him the all right all right all right I feel is just being like Wooderson is the best character (laughs) I think so anyway do you like Wooderson um well I mean I like him as a character I find him to be super gross right but But that's what's so great about him he's He's incredibly creepy but so likable (laughs) which is why Cynthia is into him Cynthia who's like super smart (laughs) sees something in him that maybe others don't so yeah yeah. i mean wooderson ended up being for me a like i know one of the one of the most interesting things that this movie does is and i mean they they kind of beat it over the head at the end when pink starts to get very or i guess he's been introspective this whole time but he he actually like speaks the thesis statement of the movie out loud on the football field Uh Every single time that happens, I remember, oh, yeah, there is a plot to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but the, uh, what am I going to say? Oh, yeah, because, I mean, like, Wooderson kind of represents one path that Pink's life could take. And then, like, the coaches, I guess, represent the other one. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, everybody, you know, it's really like these, it seems like there are only two options for people who are from this kind of small town. And I think that that speaks to, like, a lot of what this movie has to say about how high school is really just like training grounds for which path somebody else has already planned for you, you're going to follow. Right. Um, so 
the the ways that they actually say it are they break it down as like he says that he doesn't want to look back on high school as being the rest years of his li- they're the best years of his life, which mm-hmm. is absolutely personified in Wooderson that like he literally does not stop going to high school parties even you know he's gonna keep going to them until he's told why that he's no longer welcome there. <laughs> but he'll always be welcome because he's so funny. But <laughs> why would he stop going if the girls stay the same age? Yeah, because <laughs> <No>. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> yes, they um, do. Right, and then the other option is uh, <laughs> I forget who it is that actually says it, but they is it his football buddy, the one with the eyebrows, who says uh, that Don Dawson? Maybe I. There's so many characters. Uh, the one yeah, with the Don. overalls, the one yeah, who wears Don. the overalls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Don says that he doesn't think of it as being like the best years of his life he thinks of it as doing the best that you can while you're stuck in a horrible place. And right, which I is mean, really, really, I mean, I think that, I don't think I've ever actually listened to that part of the movie before and actually taken it to heart, but I was like, yeah, that is, that's a really good way to look at it. Today. Yeah, and, and it is a really good way to look at it, but I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like there's kind of an unspoken bleakness to this movie because Don, because Don, who feels that way, is still going to end up as one of those security guards at the end of the movie who peaked in high school like everybody in this movie is going to end up still in that town right and i don't know about cynthia uh which one's cynthia the redhead oh okay yeah uh, sure uh, but i mean like the people who seem to have like thoughts about where they're gonna end up <laughs> or at least like right. the, the jocks right i mean if the whole thing like if if the the one thing that's tying everything together is like pink deciding what's gonna happen in his future like i don't know he doesn't seem to have he seems like he's only got two options and he doesn't like either option very much that's interesting so that's not at all how i interpret pink's the decision that he's staring down it has very little to do with the rest of his life and he's finding it difficult to pledge his you know sobriety and everything to the team because he he doesn't like the idea of the team deciding what he's doing with his present. Right. Because if he was really concerned about his future, he I, I mean, he never, he never talks about that being the thing. And the interesting part too is that none of his friends even talk about that. They just talk about how they just want to, they want him to play because they want to win because that's what you do is you, when you're a good football team, you want to win in your senior year because that's your last chance to do it. Mm-hmm. None of them are like, man, you, you know, you got that scholarship uh, opportunity or you know you gotta you gotta keep training so you can get to the NFL or anything like that this is and, and this is perfectly perfectly shown in the extremely awkward delivery of that very old man who comes up to Pink and says that something of <laughs> you know like oh we got you know four seniors starting or something and look, looking looking tough and th- these are old people in the community who are that concerned with the fucking high school team that they know who the starters will be in the coming season. Are you kidding me? I didn't even... My friends played on the high school football team and I didn't even know who the fuck the starters were. And this is some old man who like, just goes to these games. Right. So this is, this is an entirely different um, community than the one that you and I grew up in. And not just because it's in the 70s, but also because this is like an American football community. Right, yeah, absolutely. And... Yeah, I, I really appreciated that there was this. Uh, I mean, while the coaches are the coaches and his teammates are being like very particularly aggressive 
in wanting Pink to be a part of some kind of legacy that they're building. You know, he's got this extra social pressure from, you know, everybody in the town because it is this small-ish town. In well, a and he's very, a fucking quarterback. Yeah, in this very, this very football-cultured town. And, I mean, I guess, mm-hmm. like, if you're going to choose between peaking in high school and just never doing anything, then at least if you peak in high school and are a quarterback, then, you know, you're set to sell real estate for the rest of your life because everybody knows who you are. Yeah. I mean... So that's another thing, too, that I always really related to is I played... This was right around the time when I watched this movie. It was right around the time when my my soccer... Dreams of my soccer career also ended because of my injury. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play professional soccer. My whole university plan was to go to the States and play soccer so that I could eventually play professionally. And being able to want that, but also be at some point as at some part of me being relieved when i got injured and could no longer do that is a very strange thing to kind of come to terms with and it's even worse when you're in high school and you feel at once like you have every option in the world open to you and then you have no options open to you you have right. no freedom whatsoever but you have all of the burden of being able to choose whatever you want and it's couched in this like positivity And so I really relate to Pink in that way where he has a talent that other, you know, his his friends and his teammates are relying on it so that they can accomplish what they want to accomplish. But if he is not happy enough to just sign that stupid piece of paper, because it's true, like the other guys, you know, they're like, well, just fucking sign it. You don't have to do it. Right. But it's a principal thing for Pink. And I think it underlines or an underscores a an unhappiness with this being his chosen path anyway because even though he's got this talent that's not the type of lifestyle that he's he's looking to live which is why he's got all these other friends and all these other he's able to go th- between all these other social circles because he isn't just a jock the other guys are just jocks the other guys are stoners the other guys are nerds and pink is all of the above so I don't think it's even anything to do with him. I know he talks about that. He's got that line, if I start to refer to these as the best years of my life. But I don't think what he's saying is that what I choose now affects the rest of my life. It's that I'm not happy right now with what I'm doing. So if this does happen to be the best years of my life, then I've really screwed up the future. All of this goes back to the best line in the whole movie, which is, and especially 16-year-old Caroline just ate this the fuck up. <laughs> Cynthia, when they're in the car and they have the, those hilarious conversations, and she says, I'd like to quit thinking of the present, like right now, as some minor insignificant preamble to something else. And that spoke so loudly to me in high school. I felt like I was just waiting to be able to do what I actually wanted to do, what I was actually meant to do, what I was actually good at. And I felt like I just had to go through these hoops of basically being, you know, babysat all day, doing things that I didn't particularly want to do, and hoping that at some point I would feel more self-actualized in what I'm doing. The interesting part is that now it's been, you know, 15 years since I was in high school, since since I watched this the first 
first hundred times in the first week of in that March break week. When I do think about high school, I, I loved high school. I, I had a, a great experience in high school, but I'm very happy that I, out of some sort of anxiety or perfectionism or pressure from my parents, did as much as I did. You know, I was in band. I was on volleyball teams. I was on the badminton team. I was in the, you know, academic international baccalaureate program and stuff like that. So I was able to go through all these different social circles because of all these different hobbies or, you know, interests that I had that at the time I thought were as completely useless and I hated. I hated getting up early for band and I hated staying late for volleyball. I hated not having a lunch because we had theory of knowledge over lunch period. I hated all of it. I look back and I'm thinking, man, if I didn't have to do all that, I high school would have been nothing. High school would have been a blur that I don't remember at all. And even if it is a preamble, I know now that it wasn't insignificant because it 100% made me who I am. But I will absolutely never refer to those as the best days of my life because that pretty much is giving yourself a death sentence at that right. point. It, you have nothing left to look forward to. However, I can, I can remember thinking, there's no way that these are the best days of my life when I was in high school. Just like when Cynthia says, it's the every other decade uh, theory. This, the 50s were boring, the 60s ruled, and the 70s, I mean, come on, they suck. So maybe the 80s will be radical. Right. And the, the joke of that is that, well, the 80s were terrible, but also that anybody now has a great fondness for looking back on the 70s. Like the fact that this movie was made in 1976 is because the 70s are looked on as, you know, kind of a halcyon days, especially for middle America. Right. Uh, I mean, that's why the, that 70s show existed and countless other things. But so your inability to understand what you're going through right now and how it's going to have a positive effect on you is so part of the human experience. And it doesn't matter what time, what, what age you're in. In fact, I saw that this was, I, and I don't know if, I can't remember if you said it for the Netflix descriptions, but this is often described as a coming of age movie. Mm-hmm. And I do agree that there's obviously, you know, huge transitions being taken by the, the freshmen for sure. Mitch and Sabrina. I'm not 100% certain if I think that the seniors are really going through any sort of like transformation. But this movie takes place on one day, which right. in the kind of canon or the oeuvre of Richard Linklater is interesting because all of his movies kind of time is a really important thing. How, how long uh, the scope of the story is, is, is important. And you'd be hard pressed to convince me that you can have a coming of age story that exists over one day and i think that that's what makes this infinitely rewatchable and infinitely appealing it's not a coming of age story we do not have the resolution of any of these stories we see a snapshot of where they are and how much their minds are capable of changing because of you know just what what is going to be what they are confronted with what's coming down the pipeline we see these examples of people who have not changed at all like obanion or Wooderson, and we see how they are either derided for that or celebrated. But it's not, I, I see what you're saying about it being like peaking in high school, but I think Wooderson is happy. Regardless of peaking in high school, I think Wooderson enjoys his life. And you, you think that's genuine? You don't think that's him 
kind of looking back and being in a state of like arrested development because he he built his entire life up i mean it seems like so many of these like some of these characters seem like they're just like all they're living for is the concept of being a senior in high school for sure like that's that's the destination and i think that that was something that i got a little confused about with the uh with the timeline because i thought at first that these people were graduating and they were the ones who were initiating the freshmen but no these are the people who are like claiming their spot as the top dogs in the school right and like this is this is like the peak of everything that your life has been building towards is being uh being a senior in high school yeah and i think that wooderson probably drank that kool-aid a little too often although i guess he doesn't like embrace like the uh like the hazing <laughs> parts or anything anymore but i mean he's he's all about teen culture and and trying to be as youthful as possible like do you not like do you you don't think that the movie sees that as kind of pathetic that like you know when he's 40 he's still gonna be doing the same thing i didn't i didn't say that he's not pathetic i didn't say that you're not meant to think that he's pathetic or anything i said that he's happy okay and i stand by that wooderson is seen as pathetic by people that otherwise are friendly to him and also by those cops (laughs) who specifically say um you know, uh, reliving old glories on the football field to him. But I, I genuinely think he's a happy person doing what he likes, doing what makes him happy. And if I compare that to the idea of me thinking, oh, I can't, I can't do what makes me happy if it's not also productive to society, if I'm not, you know, uh, making meaningful things under capitalism and stuff like that, who's more pathetic, (laughs) right? Someone who is actually self-actualized, understands who they are, is fine with that and does not care about what people think or say or someone who is trying to grasp for the brass ring and missing it all the time or spending their whole life grasping for the brass ring. I think there's a lot to be learned from Wooderson. And I think that, I mean, O'Banion is his double and in the opposite direction, right? O'Banion's younger, for sure. But O'Banion has is on that path to be stuck in high school, but not be happy. He's stuck in high school for all the wrong reasons. Whereas Wooderson has embraced that this is his life. And I'm not saying that high school is, is Wooderson's life. Wooderson doesn't come to the high school and like hang out or anything. He just hangs out at the high school bar, whatever. I know dudes who are in their 30s who do that, 40s who do that too. But O'Banion is specifically trying to play some sort of role of being, you know, macho and overly uh, alpha dog mm-hmm. because he has not accepted who he is for himself. He he did, I think that the, the phrase that you're using for peaking in high school applies to Obanian for sure, where he is uh, really insecure about how he has no plans after high school. They talk about how he failed on purpose specifically so that he could come and beat freshman ass again but is it that or is it that he failed on purpose because he has no idea what the fuck to do after high school right i know people i know people like that right now who have no idea what the fuck they do and they sign up for grad school (laughs) (laughs) it's just a delayed delayed uh you know growing up yeah well and i mean like fuck that that speaks to me like i'm somebody who when they decided to go into post-secondary it was just 
because it was like, well, high school's over. I guess I should still keep going to school with like no plan whatsoever. And then ending up with, you know, degrees that I really don't do a whole hell of a lot with. But anyway. Right. Um, but, and that's what, and you kind of have to look at senior year of high school in 1976 in Texas as being university for us. I had no idea what I was going to do at university, but from the age of seven, I knew I was going to university. I had no idea what I was going to do after university. I still don't know what I'm doing after university because I'm on my third degree right now. And the idea of the the ultimate goal being to be a, a high school senior is just for me, the ultimate goal was to be in university. And then I got there and I was like, oh, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Like, I, why, where, why was I, was I supposed to get like some sort of book that told me all the secrets of, you know, how to be happy and how to live life? So yeah, no, I think I think Wooderson's got it figured out. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, like, I think one does have to distance themselves from him a bit with his pedophilia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, man. But I think the thing with O'Banion too is like he. Like, he clearly knew, like everybody else, that, like, okay, everything builds up to senior year. And then when he got there, he sucked at it. And he just, like, he fucked it up. I don't know if he actually failed intentionally or if it was just kind of, like, that's a story that people have said about him to kind of boost his mythology of being a pathetic shitbag. But he just, like, his, his whole motivation, like, and I think that, yeah, I think that we do need to take some time to talk about the whole concept of hazing and everything that this movie does. But his attitude towards it in particular is so aggressive in that, mm-hmm. I mean, as much as hazing is for the most part treated as like, uh, it's this distasteful thing that we all just need to get through. And like, we know that the the freshmen are going to, you know, be tougher for it and, and all that. But like O'Banion is doing it with so much, like he's so vindictive about it. And it's more about him claiming his place at the top of the totem pole than it is about actually welcoming anybody into a group. Of course. Yeah. But why, why is it, why does he want to claim his place at the top of the totem pole? Yeah. Cause I mean, it's his due over a year, right? Like it's him like, Oh, well if I, if you know, me being me didn't work in this pinnacle of life as we understand it in this in this small town then uh, i'm just gonna go harder and i'm gonna like he doesn't understand why like why anything is the way that it is he just sees the actions and yeah but he was like that last he was like that the year before too though was he yeah because they talk about how um he uh he's such a jack he's such an asshole that he deliberately failed so that he could haze people again so he must have done that the year before Right, and I, I was saying that I don't know if that's actually true, but yeah. I do think it's true. I don't think you make it from grade 9 to grade 12 and you're fine, and then grade 12 you fail. Like, I think you have to deliberately do something. <laughs> to, okay. And that's what I'm saying, is that it's it's coming from a place of insecurity where he's stunting his own progression because he does not want to face the reality of having to make real adult decisions right. after high school. He knows what he's doing in high school. He knows that he can get what he wants by being a bully and, and screaming at people and intimidating them. And that's not going to fly once he gets to college or once he gets to wherever else he's going. Um, right. And what Wooderson at least has the self-respect to go out and get a job <laughs> in order to pay for the right. the teenage lifestyle that he so strongly desires. Well, that's what I mean. Is this, this is Wooderson's life. Wooderson is not stunted. Wooderson is has decided that this is the life that I am 
happy with and this is the life that I'm embracing. O'Banion is staving off. He doesn't know what he's going to be doing and he's acting out because of that. Right. So how did you feel about the whole hazing thing in general? Because it is, it's a huge, as far as plot points go in this movie, this is about as plotty as this movie gets. The whole culture Well, the letter is the 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 plot. That's true. That's true. So were you hazed at high school? Did you guys do hazing? Um, No, I think that when I got to high school, that was kind of when they were... It had become culturally unacceptable, or maybe we had just hazing. like okay, we we didn't have yeah. it at all. I think that maybe, or maybe it's just like a school policy that it wasn't allowed anymore. So, so this is just like I went another to a Catholic cultural school. touchstone that I'm totally out of touch with. Yeah, so that's I I figured you were by the way that you were talking about it. Um, so it, when I was a niner, that's what they call you. Um, there was a big there was a day devoted to hazing, and there was a big assembly where. They put down a bunch of mats and stuff like that. And you volunteered. Just like you can see the girls volunteer on on in this movie. The right. ones who want to be hazed uh, get in that truck. So it's a volunteer thing for the girls. For the guys, it's not. But we'll get to that in a second. But at my school, yeah, you volunteered. And then you were basically just made a fool of in front of the entire school. So they covered you in chocolate syrup. They made you... <laughs> They brought you up on stage and put um, shaving cream on a guy's face and gave you a popsicle stick, gave a girl a popsicle stick in their mouth, and they had to shave them with a popsicle stick on their mouth, and just like a whole bunch of humiliating things. So no, like, obviously no school-sanctioned physical stuff. There definitely was physical stuff that went on, you know, on on people's own times um, with guys, you know, doing physical things to boys that I, I have no idea what they actually were doing. I maybe did and blocked it from my memory. I do know that it wasn't like as bad as paddling <laughs> with paddles that you make in, in wood shop and that you drill speed holes in. My goodness. Did you catch that? Did you catch when he was drilling speed holes into I his guess paddle? I, didn't think, I guess I didn't think about the physics of why it was happening, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's getting like, it's like a wiffle ball. Um <laughs> But one of my, just as a side note, one of my favorite things about this movie is the teachers, is the the three different teachers that we see, where the the shop teacher is asleep, and written behind him on the board is something like safety first or always be safe or something, and he's just like not even paying attention to what they're making bongs and paddles to beat people with, and the uh, the teacher, the elementary school teacher who was in nom and and starts laughing when. The fr- the seniors are taunting the boys out there on their loudspeaker. You know what I'm talking about? The yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, 20, 50 of you are going out, twenty five of you are coming back, or twenty five <laughs> of you aren't coming back. I love that. And then the best teacher of all time, who is the fucking awesome history teacher, who's like really young and just super cool, and she talks about how uh, it's because it's 1976, so it's the bicentennial, and so she says while they're leaving that remember that what you're celebrating is the fact that a bunch of slave owning aristocratic white males didn't want to pay their taxes. Like how fucking cool is that teacher? <laughs> She's just the best. Yeah. And, and the, I really also love how they're all dressed. Like she is definitely, she looks younger, but she's also dressed in a way that's a lot more counterculture to what like a matronly teacher would have been uh, at the time, which is really just awesome. Anyway, I digress. Oh yeah. Hazing, hazing. 
with the yeah. uh, the the teacher from Nam in particular. I felt like he kind of spoke to a. I don't know. This movie was made in '93, so I guess hazing was still a thing that people were doing. Like, I don't think that hazing is it, pretty much in any way culturally accepted anymore. Mm. Um, it is in sororities and 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 fraternities. Yeah. <laughs> so and um, the, and you have to you have to remember too that because this is an American movie, um, that's that's something like they are echoing sororities and fraternities in high school. Right. For sure. I did really like that the right. I mean, I thought it was interesting that the teacher kind of represents maybe this this older guard. I don't know if 1993 it was it still would have been as prevalent as it was in 1976, but you know, to me, it seemed like that teacher was kind of like the uh, like somebody who grew up in this time watching this movie might look back on that sort of hazing nostalgically. But then me, who am who's kind of like historically on the other side of it, like it seems really barbaric at first until you know you sp- you spend a bit of time with it. And you sort of start to understand the the social benefits, I suppose. Right. Um, so yeah, because what ends up happening is that if you didn't volunteer for for hazing at CCH at my high school, I mean, for the rest of my life, I will be able to be like, yeah, I did volunteer for that. And then those kids will maybe, and I don't know, but those kids who didn't volunteer will be like, huh, I wonder if I should have volunteered. And that's all it is: is it's your your entry to uh, a club, literally like a fraternity or a sorority of of common experience where you went through something, you overcame it, and now you have this common experience. Right. That's the whole point to hazing of anything, like of any type of, you know, and obviously some hazing things are way out of control. But when you talk about how barbaric it is, are you talking about what the boys receive or what the girls receive or both? I was mainly talking about what the boys receive just because, I mean, like the consent that the girls give, I feel like that largely changes the game and the fact that it's not as... Uh, violent but maybe that's right me not being the right kind of sensitive but i mean like the like the the fact that the teacher was just kind of like laughing that oh man like i wish that all i had to go through was hazing i feel like somebody older watching this movie would be like yeah you know kids these days they have it so soft like nobody's tested you everybody's so you know like seeing you know like i am such a snowflake right <laughs> like I'm, I'm not like a battle-tested human being i never got initiated i wasn't aware of cliques going through high school so i know that that kind of spoke to me and uh, i mean the fact that the uh the the nerd group like uh, uh tony i think his name is mm-hmm. who's anthony rap who's the mm-hmm. the guy who started the whole kevin spacey universe falling yeah. apart thing um like him and uh and Cynthia and Mike, like they're sitting around, they're like, "How is the school allowing this?" But I know that's it. Like, they they obviously have permission to use the parking lot. They're selling concessions, right? <laughs> like, it's just this thing that, like, like they know, like they they know that they, you know, by the letter of the law, nobody should be letting happen. But there's this kind of agreed upon uh, cultural benefit that I thought was kind of cool, and it made me sort of like nostalgic for something I'd never been a part of. Um, but then you've got O'Banion who's like taking it way too far. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's why you hear about fraternities and sororities who are banning hazing just because like the, the ingenuity that some people can have when it comes to being enacting cruelty on each other is astounding. Like I, I just read mm-hmm. the other day and I'll see if I can find it again and put it in the notes, but that I guess John Ham got into trouble when he was in a fraternity because one of the things that he did to somebody was he this is kind of graphic but i guess he made somebody walk around campus with the claw part of a claw hammer 
like wrapped around the guy's testicles like he like wedged this guy's nuts into a hammer and made him walk around campus like that like the like, oh i get it this kind of like really dangerous shitty thing that you're like okay i i, I don't know like the i, I well, was like i, I was it's, seeing a lot of the reasons why this sort of thing doesn't happen anymore right well it's like in the breakfast club right where the reason emilio estevez's character is in uh detention is because he duct taped a kid's butt cheeks together um, and then because they the kids ass was so hairy that when they took off the the tape like a bunch of skin came too oh god right. yeah and so it's that and so he was in detention yeah of course but i just like i'm just thinking about those types of things where like emilio estevez's character is very like he understands that what he did did was wrong and he and he understands that he was preying on someone weaker than him so that he could feel better about it and that's in a large part what the hazing is to these these guys who are who are really intense about it so not just obanion but the the redheaded guy and who's the other guy melvin um yeah like the three of them the three jocks yeah like they're they're doing it they're doing it not just out of and there's another thing too is like they might have got it really bad when they were when they were freshmen yeah and you're pay, basically paying it forward to people who were not the are not culpable for it right yeah. so yeah yeah so I, that's what um yeah that's so what I, what's your face says to the girls that i i did it when i was a freshman and you'll do it when you're a senior and it's a rite of passage yeah it's this whole cyclical thing but then when you have people who really see their see the high school the senior in high school experience as being like the final destination of your life like benny even says like this is what we've been training our whole lives for not for becoming adults but for being seniors who play football in high school like when you're telling people that their entire life rides on this and that part of that is to be the best possible at hazing people yeah you can understand why that goes completely off the rails and why people go way too hard and why it gets predatory and shitty and violent and traumatic but but then you see like the person who gets it the worst which is mitch right because he was because <laughs> his sister speaks up and tries to protect him um you know he ends up better for it right like the hazing helps him become part of this group and he gets welcomed in to hang out with the seniors and you know becomes pink's buddy and everything yeah so. exactly that's that's what at its core, that's what hazing is supposed to be. It's supposed right. to w literally welcome you into the group in in a way that um, now you can you can have a common ground with the group. So it doesn't necessarily it doesn't have to be physically violent, but it's supposed to be it, it's supposed to be something you're uncomfortable doing so that you can be on the same level as everybody else in this group. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a type of vulnerability that not many people would actually be able to to or want to do on their daily basis and that's why it's it's a privilege to be part of that group because you've you've you know uh experienced that vulnerability yeah but an another thing too that i find interesting is that the boys the girls all do it as a community thing like the girls are doing it all together they're all with each other they can they can really sense the kind of we just need to get through this and we're all here we're all doing it together uh it's terrible for all of us and then we'll be done the boys are the ones who don't kind of decide to be like, okay, just get it over with, are running for their lives, scattering, hoping that the slower one gets caught before them, right? Like there's no sense of camaraderie between between them. They are not learning what they're supposed to be learning when it comes to this. And that's why Mitch gets accepted into the group and the 
really annoying kids <laughs> don't will won't have that same experience when they get to high school. I I don't know though, because like, uh, Pink is the reason why Mitch ends up getting accepted. Mm-hmm. Right, like he Mitch ends up kind of getting rescued, and he gets that like playful pat on the butt from Pink. Like if Pink hadn't showed up, Mitch wouldn't have been spending the rest of the evening with everybody else. Like I don't know. I think that to an to he he probably wouldn't do it because he wouldn't do it out of his own. Like he wouldn't think to do it. But the point to me is that next year Mitch will be fine. He's not going to get he's not going to get bullied in first year of of high school, which is the actual point to that the hazing ritual is that yeah. next year. Um, yeah, I just like I I guess I don't know how. I think is it Hirschfelder, the the kid who ends up getting it mm-hmm. after him mm-hmm. like he gets, he gets a beer yeah oh i guess he does get the beer yeah mm-hmm. but obanian's pissed he's wasted another he... fucking beer yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know I, I love i loved watching this again because i i'm i hadn't really noticed benny's character before but i was like man we all know a benny <laughs> we, we all know a guy who's like just really concerned about hey do not waste the beer we have to go and beat these kids okay now we're gonna go play football now we you know what i mean like this is like he's at one track track mind oh i was gonna say this is what i was gonna say before he's the one who says we've been training for our whole lives our whole lives for this and you kind of pointed out that that's i i i'm inferring i guess that you think that that's a pathetic thing to be kind of you're not training for the rest of your life you're training for senior year right i mean i don't i don't see it as pathetic in the same way that i until talking to you saw wooderson as pathetic i just saw that as just like this is the way that the culture works yeah and I think that there's a big difference between, and this is probably just because coming from, because I have a background in, you know, the idea of, of, of training for athletics and the idea of, of knowing that there's an, an age cap to what the career is going to be. And knowing that hopefully if I play in the Olympics, I'll get, you know, three Olympics before I my career is over, that type of thing. And I think there's a big difference between the idea of training for something your whole life and living for something. He says that he they've been training for something their whole life. And yes, that's true. Senior high school football is a big fucking deal, especially in America, especially in Texas. And I, I don't find it strange or sad in any way that he would think this is my last chance to have this type of glory that I'm looking for because I'm not good enough to, you know, become a, a like an NFL player or even a, a university player, but it's 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 still a goal, and it's a goal that can only be realized when you're 18, in grade 12. So I don't I don't actually see it as being a sad thing or being even like an end thing. It's just that this is the only time in my life when I can do it. It it has to happen at this point. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Like when Pink says, does he say I think we'd be as popular or? If we were in a band or something, right? But yeah, when, he, when he says like, "How many times have we gotten laid just because we're right. on the football team?" Right, and and like that's going to stop happening once he's not on the football team anymore because he's uh, a grown up, obviously. But the uh, if if he was in a band and he played in a band until he was dead, he would still be in a band and it would still be cool. But there's no, you know, physical cap on how long you can be in a band. I, I would be really upset if my quarterback was flaking this hard <laughs> senior year. Yeah. I un- I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. 
Yeah, I did appreciate that this culture seemed to have its own like uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like like its own immune system for dealing with Obanion <laughs> in the fact that Mitch was able to to get him back. Now I realize that Obanion's not going to be any nicer in September when the the new uh How about the fact that he gets in his car when he's covered with paint? <laughs> I don't think he was Like why that. does he do that? <laughs> How stupid do you have to be? Okay, so let me ask you this question. You've already sort of answered it. Is there anybody, though, except for Pink, who you felt like you really identified with? That's a good question. I mean, like, I guess Cynthia, because she seems to be, like, the smart, you know, she's in, like, the nerd crowd, but she doesn't seem to dislike the fact that she's a nerd. The other two kind of seem very neurotic about their (laughs) their nerdiness. Kind of like a (laughs) a self-loathing sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, I always thought it was funny in, in high school, like the year after we watched this, we had to watch A Beautiful Mind uh, in health class or something. And the, those two actors play like the same characters <laughs> in A Beautiful... Have you seen A Beautiful Mind? Yeah, but I, I don't remember them at all. Yeah, so they're the same actors who are playing the same, like almost exactly the same characters just set in a different era. It's really funny. And then also uh, the one guy is... Uh, is it Mike? No. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Mike. Uh, he's Eddie, the very strange roommate on yeah, Friends. Yeah, the, the roommate from Friends, yeah. And then um, Clint is on Friends as well, the the bully guy. The Oh, really? The guy with the suntan who really doesn't know how to smoke weed because it stresses him yeah. out for some reason. I only I only noticed today that he has such like a bad burn, right? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's in a bad way. Um, yeah, he yeah. plays one of the... Uh, do you remember when the guys are like throwing the football around and they end up like encountering the group of bullies? Like when uh, Chandler is, Ross and Joey are throwing around a football and they end up getting into a fight and they're like, no, no, no. And they have like this very like adult fight where they're like, no, take off our watches. No punches to the face. Do you remember oh, that episode? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're like the ringleader of that who they end up making friends with at the end is Clint. Oh, really? So he's just so like, it's like a, 15 a, years a later, bully. he's still fighting people on the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. No, that guy, that guy's, you're completely right that he needs to chill the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> I guess one other thing that I wanted to bring up is the... Uh, Wait, can we just talk about how uh, unbelievably gorgeous Pickford is? Yeah, we can talk about that as long as you want. <laughs> just yeah. like a gorgeous specimen of humanity. <laughs> man, man, like just so good looking. And Everything about him. Yeah, his uh, his abs were something else. Yeah, his abs are amazing, but it's the abs in in combination with those eyes and that gigantic toothy smile and his gorgeous hair, his hair? Like, come yeah. on Fuck. <laughs> i looked up that actor though and he has not he's not aged very well but yeah he will always have that as a testament to well that's his beauty at some point that's the theme of the movie you peek and that's right so but mila jovovich is in this movie this is our second netflix episode about mila jovovich and i love mila jovovich and she's gorgeous in this movie too her her role is really tiny uh and she's kind of just there to be a gorgeous accessory to Pickford um but I read today for the first time that Pickford's role was actually supposed to be much bigger he was supposed to be the one talking to Pink on the field not Wooderson at the end but yeah, the actors got ended- along so poorly yeah. <laughs> which sucks for that guy like can you not just hang it together a little bit more keep it together a little bit more so that you can help your fucking career you psycho like that's ridiculous that you you know, threw that away because he's not even in that final scene. And that could have been, I mean, it, it, I love Matthew McConaughey and that obviously helped his career. So that's great. 
Um, and then I also read today that Mila Jovovich was only 16 when this movie was being filmed mm-hmm. and that they eloped afterwards and that Mila's mother annulled the marriage. And that kind of, you know, sorry if, if you also only found that out by me saying it right now, but that kind of like, I mean, obviously nothing can nothing can taint this movie for me, but it kind of squicked me out to a point where I was like, oh, every time that they were on screen together because that, guy, that guy's like the real life Wooderson. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what yeah, was the other, what was the other Mila Jovovich thing? Uh, it was something about the song that she was singing. Yeah. That's her own, her own original composition from her own album, Yeah, which yeah. I only, I also only found out today. Um, but the, the, it's cool because the characters talk about that song as if they, as if it's like an established thing. It's like citing yourself yeah. in an essay. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I love that. Uh, that, that whole monologue Slater the actor who plays Slater is just perfect. <laughs> like everybody knows a guy like that. Everybody knows a lovable stoner who is that kind of dumb, smart. Yeah. <laughs> where he, he's able to speak on on uh, various topics <laughs> in a way that makes it sound like he knows what he's talking about, but he's obviously completely full of shit. And the, the, his line delivery is perfect. I loved the physicality of that character too. Like just like the way that he moved was so <laughs> like yeah unnatural. You know that and, guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It was weird for me because I know him from uh from CSI Miami. Oh. And, like I'm used to him having like being like you know buttoned up and like you know very professional. What? So to hear him see him in this really threw me off. He's also in Argo, I guess. Ah, uh, well, that movie's wildly overrated. I haven't seen it, but I think it's interesting that um, because that's it's uh, directed by Ben Affleck, right? Yeah. So I wonder if um, it's because they work together on Days and Confused that he's like, hey, yeah. I would like you to be in this movie too. Wow, this guy's in lots of stuff. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's in A Scanner Darkly, which is the other movie that... Yeah, he is in A Scanner Darkly, but I got A Scanner Darkly confused with Waking Life, which is the only other movie that I know that Mitch is in. <laughs> oh, he's in The Faculty? I love The Faculty, but he's like... He doesn't... He's not even... His his billing is fucked up number two. <laughs> <Top billing. laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. That's um, nice. Cool. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to get into. Did you have yeah. more that you want to say? Leading, I mean, I knew I wanted to do this movie. I knew that um, we were going to do this movie for sure. But I said to you recently that I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to talk about just because there's not a lot of, like, meat and potatoes to this movie that you have to decipher or you know try to try to figure out so even even the hazing part I hadn't even thought about that um as much as when when you just pointed it out but I I I did just want to you know the the performances by all these different actors that for for most of these actors this was the first time I ever saw any of them for some of us some of them it's the last time too but I was just so happy watching this again today and just seeing Parker Posey go Hogwild and well, who's that girl's name? She's in like all the Kevin Smith movies. Oh, jo- Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah, like she's perfect in this. They're all perfect. They're all perfectly cast. Even when they're even when they're shitty actors, they're perfectly cast for what they're doing in this in this hilarious, very very human, very not perfect, very imperfect movie. They're all perfect. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this some bitch up the way that we always do. So, I think. That I know the answer to at least the first question, so I'll invite you to tell me whether this movie gets a thumbs up or a thumbs down on your own Netflix profile, and then it gets uh, a thumbs up. Yeah, it do. Oh, sorry. 
<laughs> but okay, I was. And then, I just got really excited because I accidentally gave it a thumbs up while watching it on your account, <laughs> like on the Netflix account or Netflix account. Nice. So, I decided for you. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then who would you pick as an MVP from this movie? Man. I don't know why. I've done this podcast many times. I know what the questions are going to be at the end. I, I very rarely actually think about them before. <laughs> Who would it's be? It's good. It's organic, just like this movie. Yeah. But it's an ensemble cast, right? It's very, you can't, you can't remove anybody to, if you removed anybody, it wouldn't work as well. And it depends what you mean by MVP because Jason London is not a fantastic actor. He's definitely better than his terrible brother, Jeremy London. Have you seen Mallrats? I have. Jeremy London is the worst. <laughs> what? Watch Mallrats again and just concentrate on how bad Jeremy London's performance is. Um, I can't believe they're related. But anyway, so, I mean, you, like I said, Jason London isn't, you know, Oscar worthy or anything. The role isn't that complicated. So that's how it is. But if it, if it wasn't him or if it was someone else, it wouldn't be the same. I guess I'm going to have to say Matthew McConaughey. Because he made this role iconic. I don't think it was written to be iconic. That's why they didn't cast someone who they knew. He he improvised a lot of it, too. Did you read this thing about how the, his, his first lines in the movie, the all right, all right, all right? Sorry, it's not his first lines in the movie, but it's the first lines that they recorded where he's talking to Cynthia. And that was not scripted. Richard Linklater just said, okay, you your character has already had sex with the like captain of the cheer squad. Um, now he sees this really smart girl and, uh, you know, what, what, what what's he going to do? And Matthew McConaughey was like, give me 30 minutes. <laughs> and he left <laughs> and he, and he meditated for 30 minutes and came back and decided that that's what he would do. <laughs> he amazing. invented Wooderson. Yeah. He invented the character of Wooderson, which is just one of the most indelible characters ever now. Um, and definitely one of, you know, his most indelible characters um uh just by by meditating for 30 minutes which is just like the most beautiful matthew mcconaughey bullshit thing to do (laughs) but didn't he didn't he base it on his older brother too like (laughs) oh maybe yeah i didn't i hadn't read that but yeah that makes perfect sense um did you know that his like charity is named after one of his lines in this movie too that his uh just keep living l-i-v-i-n that's what he named his charity because of this movie (laughs) that's amazing I know. I love him so much. Yeah, yeah I'm going like, to have to pick Matthew McConaughey. Okay, cool. Uh, definitely getting a thumbs up for me. It's got Yay. it's got its hooks in deeper than most movies normally do. Uh, I'm so glad. I was really worried going in. I was like, man, what if Dylan doesn't like this movie and it's my favorite movie of all time? Well, I mean, I was going in expecting basically American Pie or Breakfast Club, and I right. ended up coming up coming away with something that was just like way more relatable, felt a lot less like... It was just trying to check certain boxes. Like, I think that Linklater said something along the lines of saying that he wanted to make, like, the inverse of a John Hughes movie. And so, like, rather than, rather than, like, starting with types and working your way in, like, it was more about people and, like, what it's like to actually live a day. Um, and I really... I love that. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Nice. So, um, yeah, I don't often do this, but uh, my MVP is going to writer and director... Richard Linklater because I feel like yeah you know, I, I know that film criticism is really kind of shitting on the concept of an auteur lately mainly because everybody hates Woody Allen now but um and Quentin Tarantino now that I think about it but like this 
this was somebody wanting to tell a very human story and figuring out all the right ways to do it. And I think that right. if it wasn't him, then it would have been a totally different movie. Like if this was definitely if this was John Hughes making this movie, it would been it wouldn't be anywhere near as good. God, no. God, ugh, no. <laughs> and I and I like John Hughes movies, but no, it's not like I mean I don't love like you know what I mean like yeah. who doesn't like Home Alone? Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's really uh, cool. Okay, but I did not know that I could pick uh, a director and writer as my favorite. I knew I could pick a house, and I knew I could pick the actors, but I did not. Know <laughs> I could pick, uh, you thought you were allowed to pick a prop, but you weren't allowed to pick somebody who worked on the movie. <laughs> so if you wanna if you wanna change it, no, no, <laughs> you can go. Ahead. No, no. I mean, I'm I I feel like we work together on this. Where like you you gave MVP to Linklater, I gave it to McConaughey, and everybody's happy. All right, perfect. Uh, cool. Is there anything that you want to let the universe know about before I let you go? No, not really. I just, I, I love this movie so much and I hope that, um, I mean, even if you haven't watched it and you listen to us for some reason, uh, don't think that, you know, the experience is anything like watching the movie. <laughs> go out and watch it and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I do. Because like you said, Dylan, it's, it's kind of one of the last movies that anyone would pick as being my all-time favorite movie. And I think that that speaks very loudly to how uh you know even though i was i was shown it because of my interest in the era at the time um i think i think the the humanness of it is what speaks to everybody and what speaks to its rewatchability and what speaks to its you know the the silliness being forgivable at a lot of times so i'm really glad you liked it perfect uh well where can people find you if they want to continue the conversation so if you want to talk to me about Days and Confused, you can find me on Letterboxd. Um, I'm Deezen on Letterboxd. D-I-E, sorry, that's not my name. D-I-E-Z-Y-N. And I'm also uh, on Twitter, the same handle, D-I-E-Z-Y-N. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for doing this, and thank you for introducing me to this movie. Yay, thanks, Dylan. I'm glad you liked it. And you know what? That's going to be everything for this episode of the Netflix podcast. If you liked what you heard today, head on over to netflix.ca to check out the rest of our content, including episode show notes. The kinds of things you can find for our Dazed and Confused episode include, he said stalling as he clicked over to the page to see what was actually there. Of course, it includes links off to all of Caroline's social media that they mentioned before. I've included a link off to the Gawker article that talked about John Hamm's intense hazing. As well, I've included a link off to Mila Jovovich's song, The Alien Song, on Spotify. So if you want to hear what the studio cut of that song sounds like, be sure to check that out. As well, in talking to Caroline, we made reference to a couple of other episodes of this podcast, namely episode 67, where Caroline and I talked about Pulp Fiction, and a bonus episode where I got to talk about the movie Heathers. So I've linked off to both of those if you'd like to hear what those conversations sounded like. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at NetflixPod, and we're also on SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. If you're looking for me online, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, all as at Dylan Clerk Moore. If you want to support the show, that would be really dope. And I regret talking like that. But if that sounds like something you want to do, you can head over to iTunes, Google Play, and now Stitcher, or really whichever podcast platform you like, and subscribing so that each new episode comes straight to you. 
If you want, you can also say some nice things to us or give us a rating. And if you want to be a super fan of the Netflix podcast and you want me to have your hard-earned money, you can support us by way of our Patreon campaign, either by searching for Netflix on Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, or you can just hit that handy support Netflix button at the top of the page, and you can contribute as little as $1 a month to keep the wheels on this whole project. This whole last podcast is produced and edited by yours truly, and the theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you very much for checking out this episode of the Netflix podcast, and if you join me here next time, unless some kind of technical fuckery happened that I'm not aware of yet, you'll be able to hear me talking with a very fun guest about the movie Jurassic World. And remember folks, even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet.